Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and as previously noted, in addition to normal episodes of the podcast, we're also regularly recording short episodes on various prospects in the 2020 NBA draft. We've already done LaMelo Ball. Obi Toppin, James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, Denny Avdia, Anyeka Okongwu, Isaac Okoro, Cole Anthony, and Sadiq Bey. If you missed any of them for any reason and you're interested, go find them. Today, we turn our attention to Trey Jones. He's a six foot three point guard from Apple Valley, Minnesota, who spent two seasons at Duke. He was one of four freshman starters on that 2018-19 team. The others were Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, and Cam Reddish. So he's the only one who wasn't one and done, but he was two and done after averaging 16.1 points, 6.4 assists, and 4.2 rebounds in 35.4 minutes per game as a sophomore. He shot 42.3% from the field this past season, 36.1% from three-point range. He's the biggest reason Duke finished 25-6 and six and ranked fifth at Ken Palm. Now, he's a legitimate NBA prospect, somebody most people have going somewhere between 20th and 40th in the 2020 NBA draft. What's to like about Trey Jones? What are the concerns at the next level? We're going to discuss momentarily, but first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So today's topic is Duke's Trey Jones. Norlander, I have him 24th in my latest mock draft. You have him 30th. Our colleague Cal Boone does not have him in the first round at all. Not sure where Cal Porter has him. Sam Bassini has him going 20th. Jonathan Gavoni has him going 36th. So there's a pretty wide range of projections for the reigning ACC player of the year. What's your take 
on Trey Jones as an NBA prospect. You know what's funny, Parrish, is you we you know as the weeks go by, we just uh, we kind of pick a player that we think can work, and uh, you hit me up and asked me what player that I th- that I thought we should discuss this week, and what you just mentioned and referenced was in no small part why. I picked Trey Jones because he's the first prospect we're going to talk about in this draft profile series on the pod that has the widest array of projections right now. Now, obviously, that's going to happen the further we get down the draft boards, and we're not going with you know the latest player, you know, 10th, 11th on either of our boards here. I want to get someone that listeners are familiar with, people are curious about, and someone that's certainly going to be drafted, and I think and you think should be drafted in the first round there. He is a fascinating case because uh, two-year player defensively had a great reputation after his first season uh, at Duke. I thought his defense as a sophomore dropped a little. Um, I just don't think that he was the surefire top five defender in college basketball that I believe uh, he got voted to uh, on behalf of the USBWA writers. I just don't think that he was a top five defender last season. If you want to make the case top 15, I certainly think it's there, but there's a difference. Like he, I don't think he was an elite, elite top of the line defender, but I certainly think that he can be an above average and plus defender at the NBA level. That is what's going to get him drafted in the first round if he goes Parrish, is his defensive aptitude. Um, we might as well just address the obvious off the top here, though. Uh, you mentioned his stats. There's no doubt about it. If Trey Jones doesn't get drafted in the first round, it is unquestionably going to be because of his jump shot. It's just not reliable. Now, it's not bad. In fact, I would argue that he made uh, big strides as a sophomore going from 26 to 36% from three-point range. He took about the same amount, one 103 as a freshman, 108 as a sophomore, but uh, two-point range is still under, you know, 45%. Um, he was good but not great, and I think if you want to be a starting point guard in the NBA, uh, you got to be a reliable distributor, and at this point, you got to be, I think, at a level of shooter that's above what Trey Jones is right now. Again, he could get there, but if we're talking about what's going to hold him back, I think it will be his relative size. He's probably, generously, he's probably like 6'2" you know, 180 or so, his size, and then can he actually shoot the ball effectively and consistently at the pro level? If he did slip as an on-ball defender because he was great as a freshman, like, um, listen, Zion was the star of that team. Nobody would dispute that. But when you would talk to the Duke staff, they would really point to Trey Jones applying pressure to the ball in half-court settings as a big reason why they were very good. Zion's the biggest reason. RJ, probably the second biggest reason. But they had a lot of respect for what Trey Jones brought to that team, even if he wasn't projected as a top-five pick, like at least two of his teammates. I wonder if 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 in your, if your assessment is accurate that he was less of an on-ball defender as a sophomore than he was as a freshman, how much of that had to do with he was just asked to do a lot more as a sophomore because Zion wasn't on that team, RJ wasn't on that team, Cam wasn't on that team. I think there's something to that, and it's funny you bring that up because I remember you mentioned Sam Vecini, uh, who might or may not talk on this podcast. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but He's here. He's uh, here. He is. He is. Sam, we'll get to you. Hold on one sec, bud. Um, he's now in Australia, so there's a little bit of a lag time, too. It's just not helping matters. Um, but during Zion's season with Duke, Uh, A lot of people were talking about Trey Jones being, you know, top three, top five defender in college basketball, best defender on his team. I always maintain that Zion Williamson was a better defender purely because he was uh, he he covered more ground. He was bigger, higher vertical jump. And I thought that what Duke did all around um, was more of a force. And a result of what Zion Williamson was capable of defensively than Trey Jones, which is not to say that Trey Jones wasn't really, really good. He was, but I actually thought that Zion Williamson, and that was, 
that was definitely like college basketball hot take. And then I think once we got near the end of the season, uh, they kind of, I think, the, not the consensus, but the discussion might have been a bit more even. But you are correct in that I do think unequivocally his sophomore season, he had less around him. Um, but still, you know, he was he was adept on defense. And, and listen, the offense is still, is still a thing as well. I mean, I, I, you don't even think that I'm not going to have a podcast here and not some try and inject this. To, into Come on, Duke. Yeah. You know. Let's go, Duke. Come on. There we go. There we go. That's what I like. You know I got to put in a little bit of that. I was not going to. This is our first draft profile pod talking to Duke players, so we had to get a little bit of K in there. You know that had to happen. But he has been better. Um I think that his true stock heading into draft night on November 18th is going to be a moving target, though. I mean, I, I don't see a team necessarily giving him a first-round promise, and uh, I do find his ceiling to be around 20. I don't see him going 35-36. I don't know. Um, I, I just can't. I, not that it's impossible, Parrish, but to me, if you're looking at the entire class, weak class, everyone available, um, point guard heavy draft, too, by the way. I just don't... I, I, I think it would be a mistake if you let Trey Jones fall beyond pick 30. Well, I, I think ultimately it comes down to how high of a pick are you willing to use on somebody who projects as, let's be honest, probably a backup point guard in the NBA. That's probably yeah. what he is, right? I, I think that's, okay. I think that's accurate. What I didn't check before we started this, and frankly, I probably should have, but, you know, kid life, what are we doing? Eddie Van Halen died today. It's been a rough Tuesday here. Um, okay. Yeah, not good. Um, I, I was going to check to see if it has, has Tyus been getting consistent starting minutes? Like, not that, you know, Tyus... Well, no, I can tell you, um, he plays in Memphis. Exactly. So I, I, I think, uh, well, that was part of it because I figured you could inform me on this. Yeah. Um, the Grizzlies obviously had a quality starting point guard forever in Mike Conley. And they were always set there. They never had a quality backup point guard. It was just one bum after another, after another. Do you want to name these dudes, another. by the way? <laughs> I'm sorry? Do you want to name these so-called bums, by the way? I'm curious as to who oh, these Oh, God, it was somebody. It would be like Tony Roten. And oh. just it was just like one bad thing after another. Then they finally went out and signed, signed Tyus Jones. And they signed him to like a three-year, $26.5 million contract. He's making real money. Like he's signed it. He's made $30 million in the NBA. And he's good. He's a, he is, you know, he only plays about 19 minutes a game. But he shot a career high 38% from three this reason, uh, this past season. And when you saw the Grizzlies struggle in the playoffs, in the bubble, not the playoffs, they didn't make the playoffs, but in the bubble, some of it was just because they were playing teams that were better than them almost every night. They, they were only favored in one game in the bubble. So the idea that they went, I think, two and six before losing to Portland in the playing game like wasn't that big of a surprise. The Grizzlies were overachieving on the verge of the playoffs, but not very good. They got there by beating bad teams. And then when they got to the bubble, they didn't get to play bad teams. So, you know, it is what it is. But also part of their problem in the bubble, Tyus Jones was not available. Mm-hmm. And that, that made a big difference because there was no other natural backup point guard on the roster. When John Morant would come out of the game, you were limited to DeAnthony Melton being your primary backup point guard. And DeAnthony is very good and, and an important role player on that team, but he's not a point guard. He, he is somebody who can handle the ball if you have no options, but he's not a point guard. So Tyus Jones is, is, is really good. 
Um, he's a really good backup point guard who who's going to end up making 40, 50 million dollars in that league. And I do think Trey Jones can be that. In fact, I think like that's the floor. Like I think he's going to be a reliable backup point guard in the NBA. And how good of a point guard he becomes in the NBA comes down to, you know, can he make a jumper or not? You know, he shot 26%, as you pointed out, as a freshman from three, 36% as a sophomore. Is that 36% real? And can you build on it? If so, he's going to be in that league for a long time. If it's not, he's got problems. But I do think he's a high floor, low ceiling guy because all the other stuff is there. He's not a great athlete, but he's a good enough athlete. He doesn't have great size, but he's got good enough size, high basketball IQ, a natural run your team point guard, great on ball defender. Um, I think it really does come down to where are you comfortable drafting somebody whose realistic ceiling is probably 20 minute a game backup point guard. What I will say probably works in his favor. The heat are picking 20th. Uh, Goran Dragic is a free agent. Um, Kendrick Nunn's basically got pulled out of the rotation in the playoffs. Maybe they are interested in adding a reliable backup point guard with the 20th pick to, you know, put with Jimmy Butler and, and Bam out of buy on those guys. The Sixers pick 21st. Maybe they'd like a natural point guard on the roster. The Lakers pick 28th. And their point guard situation is not great. The Raptors pick 29th. Fred Van Vliet is a free agent. They could lose him this offseason. I would assume because of those teams picking in the 20s that Trey Jones ends up being picked somewhere in the 20s by a franchise that needs to add a natural run-your-team point guard to the roster. That's why I think he goes in the first round. I think that's all valid. I also want to take listeners inside of what is, what I think it could get him there, is, and that is as a sophomore – Jones against the better teams played better. Like across the board, generally speaking, his statistics were pretty good. Like his turnover rate was lower against the better teams he played. You know the the tournament level teams uh, in college basketball, and that's a really really good sign. And that's everyone from within the ACC to even you know non conference wise when they would play against Michigan State or Kansas last season, uh, he had some some really good signs there. So make no mistake about it, especially in this kind of season, this always is the case, but when teams and scouting departments have had just endless months on end to study up and try and get the big boards together, and remember, these these teams are not going to be able to like work these guys out the way they normally are. Like A lot of it's going to be virtual. There's going to be measurements done, and, and the whole for the prospects, it really kind of sucks. And I, and I wonder if it's going to benefit Jones or not when it comes to this, but they're going to see statistically that he, he definitely became a better long-range shooter as a sophomore. Defensively, maybe a little bit of a drop-down, but again, I think context is important there. His minutes were about flat. His offensive production on the whole was relatively flat. His assist rate jumped, which you'd want to see. Less talent around. Still a good Duke team, don't get me wrong. In fact, didn't you have Duke preseason number one heading into last season? Do I remember that correct? I... You don't, don't even know. Let's just say so. Okay, <laughs> I was going to say, let's just say you didn't. Let's just move on. Maybe yeah, no, I don't, no, 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 I you, don't think no, no, I had I'll be fair. You had I'm State. trying to think of who you I had, had You had one. Michigan State. Well, let's be fair. You had Michigan State. Oh, Michigan State. That's exactly right. Everyone had Michigan State. That's fine. I was, I, you know, some, some some fun slander there, but that's not true. You definitely had Michigan State because I did too. And I was wondering whether Michigan State would really truly be number one because there's a lot of group think. Lo and behold, they weren't. Anyway, um, so Jones's production against really good teams uh, was either flat against his overall numbers or improved and 
he had a lower turnover rate as well. So I think all of these things are good. And then I'll mention one more. Uh, I don't know where else you want to v- venture to here with Jones specifically, but I will mention this, and I do think it also uh, means something. Trey Jones, for his size, I've always found to be a very productive, instinctive rebounder. Uh, you know, a really good rebounder. I don't know if he was a great rebounder. It wasn't necessarily, you know, the role that he was set out to do on that team. But I always thought that just another, you know, tool in the bag there for Jones was he was the kind of guy who, despite his size, really had a good feel on both ends to go and get the boards when he'd need to, or if the, or if a certain possession didn't require it of him, uh, then he'd be able to get back on defense or help, you know, get out on the break there. So I think he's a smart player. I think he's going to be ready for it. And I, you know, it's, we're talking about these players and you might just discover a pattern, but there's a reason for it. We're not going to talk about guys that we don't think necessarily have a chance to stick for seven, eight, 10, 14 years in the league. We're going to talk about Trey Jones because even though he's not projected to be a lottery pick, I just do think that he is made up of the stuff that will keep him in the league for a minimum of two contracts. And if you told me he was a 10 or 12 year player, I'd believe it. But backup point guard is probably where he ultimately lands unless certain circumstances, you know, you look up seven years from now, who knows? I mean, look at, you look at, you know, certain, uh, certain players in the league right now. Like Fred Van Vliet, people thought at best could be a backup point guard. And you're now right. he's about to get $18 million a year. You're, you're correct. You're correct. I might've told the story on the podcast before, not to like swerve off the Trey Jones stuff, but I, I remember someone had mentioned, tweeted something back four four years ago or so about Fred Van Vliet and his NBA prospects and, and, and presented that in a positive light. And I remember tweeting like, I absolutely love this. I have loved Wichita State when Fred Van Vliet's been there. And I have loved Fred Van Vliet has been one of my favorite college players of the past half decade. But, you know, I just don't think he's going to make it in the NBA. I basically tweeted that out. And Van Vliet, he either retweeted it or he favorited it. And then this was like three days before they, I think they played in the tournament at the Providence was a site. So I drove out and covered it there. And uh, he gave me a little grief in the locker room after. He's like, man, it's cool. You got to do what you got to do. But, uh, but you know, like, you know, I think I can make it in the NBA. I was like, dude, rub it in my face if it ever happens. If it ever happens, dude has made the <laughs> final. Like, I've, I've been so blazingly. Made a final. He's won, he's won a title, and he's legitimately about to make $18 million a it's, year. I mean, I was so blazingly wrong on Fred Van Vliet. It's not even funny. And I and you know what? It serves me right, and other people as well, because Van Vliet, uh, it, his story kind of gets a little, there's some anachronisms with it. Like, he was recruit like he kind of started as like his team was freaking balling out and killing everybody that has all these four and five stars on it but he wasn't some like two star unknown dude like he was recruited and he was known but um he certainly elevated his status and then once he got to Wichita State I think his story grew even bigger but uh but anyway so (laughs) I guess to tie it all up um I don't think Trey Jones is going to have a career as good as Fred Van Vliet in the NBA but hell check me in five years and I'm probably gonna look like an idiot again well, like, to, to be fair to you, everybody missed him for Fred Van Vliet. He wasn't picked. I know. I know. I know. And I, I um, one of, by the way, a few weeks ago in our dribble handoff series that we do every Friday where uh, David Cobb handles it, but we write each about 200, 250 words on whatever topic. We were asked, who's our favorite college basketball player? I think maybe that, I think that is the way it was described of the past decade. Right. And I actually wrote about Fred Van Vliet. He is my favorite. Um, and one of the things I remember 
is his last game in college. God, I wish, I hope this is right. I hope I'm not just making up a story. Okay. Let me see well, if I can. It's the game what? that I covered that I just referenced when they lost. And I think they lost that game in Providence. Or if they won it, they lost it when they just left that site and they played whatever was after that. They played Arizona. Yes. So Arizona, did they Arizona beat them in Providence? No. Arizona beat them Out in West. the first round of the 2016 NCAA tournament. Okay. So that's exactly what it was. Yes. Okay, so what what I remember about this is that, you know, afterward, handshake line, very normal stuff, but the television cameras caught Sean Miller, like, spending time with Fred Van Vliet. Usually the coach just walked by, great game, good job, great game, good job, good job, good job, and he stopped Fred Van Vliet and, like, shared words with him. And you could see Fred nodding or saying thank you or whatever. And afterwards, somebody who was there, might have been you, asked uh, Sean Miller, hey, we, you know, we saw you um, stop Fred Van Vliet and talk to him. What did you say to him? And Sean said, I told him, don't let anybody tell you you can't play in the NBA. They're going to tell you that. <laughs> They're going to tell you you can't play. Because you're not big enough, you're not athletic enough, you don't, you don't, you're not, you, 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 you don't test enough. I'm paraphrasing here, but yes. this is basically what he said. He said, I told him, don't let anybody tell you you can't play in the NBA because you can. And you look up all these years later, and he's awesome in the NBA. Not only can he play, he's uh, great. So uh, most people missed on it. Sean had it right. Um, and Fred Van Vliet is one of the great stories. So when we say Trey Jones projects as a backup point guard, what we mean is, based on what we've seen, that is what he looks like. But we've been surprised before. And um, if Trey Jones surprises us, we'll, we'll, we'll sit around five years from now and tell Trey Jones stories just like we tell Fred Van Vliet stories. I will say to your point about him playing well against good players, like his last game in college was a win over North Carolina. He's actually matched up with Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony, 4 of 14 from the field, nine points. Yeah, You know, like he... And, you know, I, I, I don't have um, uh, synergy in front of me. I, don't, I didn't watch every possession of that. But, like, it, it's reasonable to assume that uh, Trey Jones spent time on Cole Anthony, and Cole Anthony did not have a good game. And most guys who played against Trey Jones in college didn't have a good game against him. That's worth something. My last thought on this is Duke is going to have prospects this season that are all intriguing. and who have, I think, a wide berth of potential landing spots. So I'm just going to propose here at some point before we get to the draft, I would definitely love to dive into Vernon Carey Jr.'s case because he's also got an interesting one. So maybe we can do that before uh, before draft night rolls around. And Trey Jones' ultimate landing spot, I think, is going to be hard to pin down because what team is going to find a need and have a need for a backup point guard spot and come draft night with trades being inevitable, um, might he get bounced from one place to the next? I think that could ultimately be uh, his fate here because I just think that when you talk about backup point guards, to me, that's you're just ripe to swap those picks in the lead up, if not literally minutes before they get picked on draft night. So just keep that in mind. But Duke, you know, they had a good one. They're going to miss them this season. 
uh, I'll just inject this quick college basketball piece of analysis on the on the tail end of the pod. I don't expect Duke to be as good this season as it was last season. A couple reasons for that, but most distinctly, even though Vernon Carey was the best player for Duke last season, he was the national freshman of the year, um, not having Trey Jones is going to be the reason why. I just Duke is going to take a step back, and they're gonna. I think they're just going to have a few games where they're going to really, really, really wish they had him in the lineup. It's not going to be the case. He'll be, uh, he'll be on an NBA roster somewhere, and in November, December, prepping for a season that should start in January. Yeah, some of the higher upside point guards are going to go clearly ahead of him. That's LaMelo Ball. It's um, Killian Hayes. It's Tyrese Halliburton. It's Cole Anthony, I think. It's, yep. you know, what are we calling R.J. Hampton, a combo guard or a point yeah. or a shooting guard, whatever. Um, uh, Kyra Lewis. Yeah, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll go. Man, see, that's a, that's a classic one. He'll go before Trey. And he might prove to be better than Trey. But... I just like Trey more right now, personally. Then you're going to get into that next group of guys that maybe don't have high, as high of an upside, you know, based on what we've seen. But you just know that they can run your team and be a, in theory, quality backup point guard. And that is Nico Mannion. That's Trey Jones. I think that's Cassius Winston. And they probably all go in that range of 20 to 40. And it comes down to like, which one do you like better? But there's not much difference on paper between them. But um, let me ask you this, and then we'll get out of here. Better NBA career, Tyus Jones or Trey Jones? (laughs) Uh, I, I asked this today to some people who know them both really well. Okay. Don't and tell me. I don't want to know the answer before I ask. Before. Okay. okay. Um, Trey Jones was the higher rated recruit. Tyus Jones went one and done unexpectedly, helped Duke to win a title, and, like, he had to go. I'll say Trey ever so slightly. I just think, I ultimately, like, they usually, it usually lands like that. Like, he was the better, he was better at 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 years old than Tyus. So I'm going to say at 25, 26, 27, 28 years old that Trey's going to be better than Tyus. I'm going to go Trey Jones too. Yeah. Just barely. Like, I, like, I know what Tyus Jones is at this point. He's a 20-minute-per-game better-than-average backup point guard. That's what he is. I think Trey Jones has a chance to be better than that. And so uh, I'll go with Trey Jones. But when I asked somebody who knows them both, they were like, don't make me pick. I love them both. <laughs> so, so that was the response. But th- I, guess it's, I guess what I interpreted from that was it's close enough where it's not obvious that one is going to be better than, other, than the other. But I think they're both going to be uh, in the NBA for several years. In other words, it'll be the 2020 NBA draft, Trey Jones' pick. In 2026, wherever he's picked, there will be few, like, and if, wherever he's picked, let's say he's picked 22nd, there will not still be 21 players from this draft in the NBA. <laughs> he will last longer okay. in the NBA yeah. than multiple people picked ahead of him. Even if that doesn't necessarily mean he should be picked higher than those people. Right. He just, I, his floor is pretty high I, I think he's going to be in that league for a while um even if he doesn't have the uh, on paper or on tape at this point have the obvious upside that makes you want to take him in the lottery gp hmm. shout him out to david downey shouts to chester south carolina shouts to terry mf and teagle legend shouts to larnell thank you for listening 
once again in the middle of a pandemic. If you enjoy the Ion College Basketball Podcast, please tell one person about it. And if you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate it. Norland would appreciate it. Do that. We'll talk to you again later on this week. Till then, take care. Little goodie on the back end for you, by the way. This podcast, the Iron College Basketball Podcast, is now also available through Amazon Prime and Amazon Prime Music. So if you happen to listen to podcasts on that platform, we are fully embedded and good to go there with past episodes, and you can find us there as well as anywhere else you prefer to find your podcasts. Talk to you soon.